Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, the temple for Old Testament Jews was everything. It was the economic and political and religious center of life. But more even than this, it was seen as the very dwelling place of God on earth. We hear in the Psalms often that though the entire earth belongs to Yahweh, to the Lord, he's chosen Zion as his special place. And when you say Zion, you mean the temple. Here have I chosen to dwell, we hear the Lord say in the Psalms. The temple was the place where heaven and earth met where the Garden of Eden was reestablished, where the harmony between divinity and humanity was achieved. Now, I say all this at least in principle. That's what it was supposed to be, meant to be. For the prophets remind the nation constantly that the temple and its rituals have been perverted, that corruption has crept into this place of prayer, that false gods are even sometimes worshipped there. So see, that tension runs right through the Old Testament, how wonderful, how beautiful the temple is and how compromised. And this is furthermore why one of the great messianic expectations was that the anointed one, the, the Mashiach, the Christos, when he came, would cleanse and purify the temple in Jerusalem. It was a big part of the job description of the Mashiach, the, the Messiah. So, this is our gospel reading for today, is John's version of the cleansing of the temple. See, but this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this famous account. He's not a 1960s-era radical shaking his fist at the establishment. That was very big, uh, like when I was coming of age, that interpretation. He's not some sort of anti-capitalist activist who's <laughs> saying, let's get rid of money and so on. He's, he's the Messiah who is trying to turn the temple once more into a place of prayer, what it's meant to be. Okay? Now, keep that image of Jesus clearly in your mind as we take now a further step. St. Paul, who when he was Shaul of Tarsus, lived for many years in Jerusalem, studying the traditions of his fathers. Shaul of Tarsus knew the rituals of the temple very well. But he tells his readers, right, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, see, that's not just a little superficial remark. Coming from somebody who knew fully what the temple meant, everything I just said at the beginning of this homily, Shaul of Tarsus knew that in his bones. And he tells his readers, your bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. What Paul intuited was 
that the true dwelling place of God is now no longer in the temple in Jerusalem. It's in the very bodies of the followers of Jesus. I'm going to say that again, because it's such a pivotal idea in the New Testament. The true dwelling place of God now is not in a, in a building in Jerusalem. It's in the very bodies of the followers of Jesus. And that's why he says in Romans, you should make your bodies a living sacrifice. Think about that for a second. Paul, Shaul, who knew the temple and its sacrifices, right? And they were meant to accomplish this unity between divinity and humanity, that by this sacrifice, human beings were, were signaling their desire once again to be one with God as the smoke of the offering went up and it was pleasing to the Lord. All of that that Shaul, Paul, knew in his bones, he now tells the Christians, make your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, your body is the dwelling place of the Spirit. Your body, yourself, is the place where divinity and humanity are meant now to come together. That's really basic, really basic idea in Christianity. Now, now, bring this insight of Paul together with the image of Jesus cleansing the temple and you've got a wonderful starting point for a Lenten meditation. If your life, right, your body, yourself, is meant to be a temple where God is praised, that means every aspect of your life is meant to be turned to the Lord, is meant to be dedicated to Him, is meant to be a sweet offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord. Your mind, your will, your heart, your body, your sexuality, your family life, your friendships, your entertainment, right? Everything in you is meant to be a living sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. Okay, what if you allowed Jesus, with that whip of cords we hear about, to enter into the temple of your body, yourself, right now? What would happen? See, that's our Lenten meditation. Think of a kind of spring house cleaning as we're coming to the springtime of the year, right? You're going to go into the, into the garage. You've got to clean this place out in springtime. What are you going to find? You're going to find all kinds of interesting things in there, but it needs a lot of work, doesn't it? Well, see, Lent is a time for a spring cleaning of the soul, let Jesus loose in the temple of your body. Let him swing that whip of cords around. Let him knock some things over. See, the mess he makes in the temple, which stirred up everybody, well, that's kind of a mess he makes in us when we allow him in as a cleansing and purifying power. Here's the thing. Whatever in you right now is not utterly dedicated to God needs to be reformed needs to be turned over. Okay, let's take one more step. What might we use as a helpful guide in this process? This searching moral inventory, this spring cleaning of the soul. Well, I might suggest we turn to our first reading for this Sunday, which is that 
timeless passage from the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus dealing with the Ten Commandments. Thomas Aquinas taught these commands correspond to the fundamental principles of the natural law. That just means those moral imperatives planted deep within our souls. See, in a way, we know the Ten Commandments instinctually. And this is a very good way to do this little moral inventory. Walk through the commandments with me now, and let's see how we're doing on the inside. Okay, first commandment. And by the way, everybody, go back to Exodus chapter 20 at some point, after you hear this homily. Go back and, and take a look at it. First commandment deals with the most basic sin, and that's why it's the most developed of the ten. You'll see it's the longest articulation. What's the most basic sin? Idolatry, which means turning something less than God into God. You see now why, even though we're not making graven images, most of us, uh, but it's the most fundamental sin. Honor, power, privilege, country, celebrity, my own ego. And there's there's something I'm worshiping. If it's not God, that needs to be cleansed because that's the fundamental problem. Can you say, oh yeah, the Lord, he's, he's, the, he's the God of my life. Second commandment has to do with speech about God and you know how important this is but but how often overlooked how we speak powerfully shapes how we think and behave that's a basic truth i think speech is not just derivative from thought speech shapes thought therefore speaking of god in a casual disrespectful or at the limit blasphemous way is morally dangerous it'll affect the way we think Third commandment has to do with keeping the Sabbath holy. I think, everybody, this commandment has never been more relevant, perhaps, than it is today. Because the human race, I mean, we, we're known for our worship of, of God or the gods or the sacred or the holy. That's been true for all of human history. They say today is perhaps the first time when a significant part of, of humanity doesn't worship God, this, this secularism which is soul-killing, which is emptying our churches out. So how powerful this command to worship the Lord, keep holy the Sabbath. Are we doing that? Fourth commandment regards honoring our father and mother. You know, I think it has to do with family integrity. How is your family life? Do you as a family honor God together? How's it going with your family? That's a key moral concern. Fifth commandment has to do with murder, of course. Thou shalt not kill. The God of life stands against killing. Here, you know, Even though most of us, please God, are not murdering people. But are you a life giver or a life taker? That's a good searching question. Do I tend to, to drain people of life or give life? Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Also, may I say, of particular relevance today. How the popular culture now is interested in sex that is not manipulative, not abusive, not self-regarding. The very things the church has spoken against for centuries, the very thing that biblical religion has stood against from the Ten Commandments on, you know, pornography, the abuse of women, the sexual abuse of children, the coarsening of sex in general. Well, here's this commandment clearly against it. Seventh, you shall not steal. 
certainly relevance for our economic life, but as, as well as for our personal life. Thomas Aquinas said that gossiping amounts to stealing another person's reputation. Let that one sink in. Eighth commandment, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Gosh, how we love to do precisely this. How we love to drag other people down. And if we can't do it by saying true things, we'll say false things. Here's here's a question for all of us. Could any of us even go one day without saying something negative about somebody else? Let that sink into your heart. Let that be a searching moral inventory. Let the Lord swing that whip of cords around. How often we bear false witness. And the last two commandments can be read together. Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, etc. Coveting, desiring, looking at what the other guy has, right? It's such a prevalent thing, everybody, but such a waste of time. Can I recommend, take Jordan Peterson's advice, the, uh, the very influential contemporary psychologist. He says, don't compare yourself to others. That's always a dead end. Stop coveting and worrying about what others have. Compare yourself to what you were yesterday. In other words, are you making progress to become the person you want to be? Compare yourself to where you you were yesterday. Stop looking out and coveting and fussing about other people. Okay, how about that for a little uh, quick run through the Ten Commandments? Go back, everyone, to Exodus 20. Take a look at those Ten Commandments with these little suggestions in mind and imagine Jesus now in the temple of your soul doing some spring cleaning. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.